It's good. God is good all the time. I love the electricity, but I was kind of enjoying the intimacy there, you know, and just the focus on our Lord with the candles there. Um, I uh, was asked to remind some that there, we are having our family ministries potluck picnic today. It's, I guess it's been moved to the school. And uh, when it was dark here without electricity, they wanted everybody to know there is electricity there, right? So uh, things are being warmed up and et cetera for, for the meal. We continue our series today on Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them, based out of John Ortberg's book. And uh, today we are talking about a, a topic that I think fits well with our focus today of communion. Today we are talking about acceptance. And we're going to look at a passage that John brings out in this chapter that I think is one of the most powerful narratives in Scripture. In fact, many scholars think that this passage in Scripture is so dangerous that for many, many, many years it didn't appear in some of the manuscripts of Scripture that we have. The concern was that what would happen if people really saw the story of our Lord in action? What would happen with the church? What would happen? We would lose control over people. It was such a radical picture of love. Such a reckless, if you will, picture of love in the minds of, of some. Before we look at this chapter, in John chapter 8, I want to give a little preface in that in John chapter 7, Jesus continues to deal with religious leaders who are out for him, constantly trying to find a way to get him, asking him questions and throwing riddles out that he hopes that Jesus messes up in some way that they can finally get him in some way. At the end of John chapter 7, there are, there's a verse, it's the last verse of John chapter 7, the first verse of John chapter 8 that I think are so profound, but I think we often can just kind of pass over them as we read the narrative and get into the rest of John chapter 8, and I want to bring those to our attention. Because while I don't have my pitcher cup saucer plate out here today, I think you will see here the process of pitcher cup saucer plate in the life of Jesus. You see... At the end of John chapter 7, verse 53, it says, Then they all went home. And then verse 1 of chapter 8 says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. There's a difference. The religious leaders and all their bickering and all their hatred for Jesus and all their political schemes, when they were done with the arguments of the day, they went home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And we know what he did when he went to the Mount of Olives. He was alone with his father. I love what Desire of Ages says when she writes, From the excitement and confusion of the city, from the eager crowds and the treacherous rabbis, Jesus turned away to the quiet of the olive groves, where he could be alone with God. But in the early morning, he returned to the temple, and as the people gathered about him, he sat down and he taught them. And so we find, we find a difference in how Jesus treats a sinner and how the religious leaders treated a sinner. The narrative goes on like this in verse 2. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery 
They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. There she was, dragged out to Jesus. Not because the religious leaders cared about her, not because they were trying to redeem her, but to use her to get to Jesus. They were willing to kill somebody to get to Jesus. What happened along the way in these men's hearts? What happened in their journey? We can assume, I think, that their journey as young boys was this passion for God, this passion for God's law, and this, this passion for life with God, with people, and everything that the sanctuary was about. But somewhere along the line, as they grew in years of age and focused more on legalities instead of the relationship with God, somewhere along the way, their hearts became hard. They became more focused on condemnation than compassion somewhere along the way. John Ortberg, though, asks a tough question as you read this chapter. He says, before we go on and before we judge them too quickly, we need to ask ourselves a question. Have we ever held a stone in our hand? Imagine these men standing around the woman with stones. Not pebbles, stones. Have you ever held a stone in your hand? Figuratively speaking, have you ever held a stone in your hand and thrown at someone else? My guess would be every single one of us here today can say yes. And please always know, I'm never excluding myself. Every one of us have held a stone in our hand, or stones. We've thrown them at family members. We've thrown them at friends. We've thrown them at colleagues. We throw them at each other as church members. In fact, John says, at what point did the church become so good at throwing stones? The community of Christ somehow over the years can sometimes become known more as stone throwers than those who are reaching with compassion in open hands. John goes on and he talks about the sins of the flesh and the sins of the spirit. He says, historically, Christian thinkers have divided sin into two categories, sins of the flesh 
and sins of the spirit. Sins of the flesh generally involve appetites that go out of control like lust and greed and gluttony and drunkenness and laziness. Sins of the spirit, these have less to do with our biology and more with our hearts. They have names like pride and arrogance and self-righteousness and judgmentalism. Of course, we know if you familiar with Jesus at all, he was always asking about the heart. The sins of the flesh were just the symptoms and the, the acting out of what was going on inside of the heart. He always wanted to get to the heart because he knew that was the root of the problem. And all these religious leaders, their spiritual power filled them with contempt instead of compassion for the weak. Orper goes on and he says, what is so insidious about the sins of the spirit is that the carriers don't have a clue. At least with sins of the flesh, you find out you've messed up. With the sins of the spirit, you may not even know. You just walk through life with a stone in your hand. Judgmental thoughts, a superior attitude, impatient words, bitter resentments, little room for love. People stand around you trembling in brokenness, guilt, fear, and lostness, but you're so caught up in your own self-righteousness you don't even see them, or worse yet, you see them and are not moved. You don't even notice. John quotes Dallas Willard when he says, when we enter the life of friendship with Jesus, who is now at work in the universe, we stand in a new reality where condemnation simply is irrelevant. Oh, I love the words of Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's good news, church. You see, this table reminds us that if anybody was worthy to hold a stone and throw it, it's God. For only he alone is sinless. Only he is righteous. Only he is just. If anybody was worthy, it was God. God was worthy to leave heaven and come down to earth with stones to throw. But thank God our Heavenly Father is not like that. Thank God Jesus came down to this earth not with a stone, but with a cross. He came down, and when he put those arms out on the cross, there were no stones in those hands, only nails. And he said, I accept you, a sinner. I've come here to accept and to receive sinners. I've come to talk to the sick, not those who think they're healthy. And so he says, here I am. I accept you. I enfold you. And that's what the church is. The church is a bunch of sinners who have been accepted by God. Because we can't earn grace, we can't earn mercy, we can't earn love. It's simply who God is. And so he receives us to himself. And as we receive him, when he says, take my body and take my blood, these emblems that he has for us, he says, take these, he gives them to us. We had nothing to do with it. It was all him. We have prepared nothing. It's his body and his blood that he gives to us. And he says, won't you take this? You see, but the challenge is, is that if we are to receive the bread and the wine, we can't be holding stones in our hands. We have to put the stones down to receive. And how good it feels to give up our stones. 
to drop those stones and receive Jesus. That's the good news. Part of the good news is that you don't have to carry stones around your whole life. Because we can collect them as time goes on, can't we? And we wonder why life is so heavy. Oftentimes it's the stones that we carry. He says, put down your stones and take my body and my blood. I love how John says it. He says, this may mean you need to take some action. If you've spread gossip, go to the person you talk to and apologize. Set things right. If your heart is hard towards someone, do an act of service for them and don't tell anyone else. Ask God to change your heart. If you have behaved badly towards someone, go to them today and ask forgiveness. It happens at work, it happens at school, it happens on the internet, it happens on Instagram, it happens on Facebook, it happens in the church, it happens everywhere. And Jesus invites us to put down our stones. And just as he said to the woman, neither do I condemn you, he also said these wonderful, wonderful freeing words, go and sin no more. Orberg writes, Jesus' acceptance is free, undeserved, unmerited, but it is also demanding for the woman to fully examine her acceptance will require entering into a new way of life. The same grace that liberates her from past sin calls her to walk free of them in the future. You see, as we grow in the grace of God and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the way of sin, the way of throwing stones, the way of everything of the heart becomes less attractive. And as we give those things up and the kingdom of God fills our life, life is much more lighter and free. Again, I like when Ellen White in Desire of Ages says, those who are forward in accusing others and zealous in bringing them to justice are often in their own lives more guilty than they. Men hate the sinner while they love the sin. Christ hates the sin but loves the sinner. This will be the spirit of all who follow him. Christian love is slow to censure, quick to discern penitence, ready to forgive and to encourage and to set the wanderer in the path of holiness and to stay his feet therein. Aren't you glad God has never thrown one stone? That's why we're here today to rejoice in what God has done for us. And in our receiving of communion again, if we have some stones in our hands or in our pockets, Jesus invites us to put them down. What would you prefer to have, a stone or the blood and the body of Jesus Christ? There is no comparison. But in putting down stones, we gotta release control and trust the authority of Jesus more than ourselves. I've been set free I've been set 
about some of the things John Orberg wrote in his chapter on empathy following acceptance. He invites us, instead of going towards people with stones, to go towards with listening ears. Maybe talk a little less and listen a little bit more. And as we go, remember that every single one of us is under construction. All of us are constant work in progress in God's kingdom. Nobody has it perfectly put together. There was only one, and we celebrated his life today, Jesus Christ. And so as we leave this place and we live life with others, may we go with listening ears, compassionate hearts, and love and acceptance as Jesus has accepted us. God bless you.